Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone and welcome to the Business of Customer Love Year and Review Special. I'm delighted to be joined by some familiar faces today to reflect on 2023, all our key learnings and looking forward to 2024 and what we can expect next year. I'm delighted to be joined today by Carol Myers, Nate Henderson, Brittany Hodak and Andy Coburn. So um, before we get kicked off, I'll just ask you all to do a quick round of introductions just to remind our audience who we are. So Carol, if we start with you first and foremost. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. My name is Carol Myers. I am a partner at one of Boston's premier venture firms called Glasswing Ventures, and we invest in early stage AI and frontier tech, which is a whole lot of fun. I've been doing that for about three years, and prior to that, I spent my entire career as a sales and marketing exec for technology companies, including Shiva, Unica, Log me in and Rapid7, and then I decided to switch over to the other side of the fence. Fabulous. Nate, over to you. Uh, Nate Henderson, great to be with everyone today as well. Um, I'm the uh, co-founder and CEO of Built Incorporated. We we take that frustrating experience uh, when it comes to assembly, setup, maintenance, repair, and uh, revolutionize that with 3D-guided interactive instructions and then the analytics that... Uh, that helps us understand how well we're really enriching someone's life and and uh, and uh, meeting that uh, that job to be done. So I started most of my career originally at SAP before I founded Built. Great to be here. Fabulous. And Brittany? Hi, uh, I am a beneficiary of Built. Thank you, Nathan. I don't think I would have been able to build my 12-foot skeletons without your interactive direction. So thank you for the help with those 12 feet skeletons. Um, My name is Brittany Hodak. I am a customer experience keynote speaker and author of the book, Creating Superfans. I spent most of my career working in the entertainment industry with artists like Katy Perry, Kiss, uh, brands like Disney and Walmart and Amazon. And I like to bring a pop culture slant to the world of customer experience. Brilliant. I hadn't planned that, by the way, between the two of you, but it was a lovely, uh, lovely to uncover that. That's Fabulous. Uh, and Andy, over to you. Yeah. Hi, I'm Andy Coburn. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Mention Me. We are a customer advocacy intelligence platform, so we help businesses figure out how they can grow from their happy customers. Uh, I've been doing this for the last 10 years or so, and prior to that, I was running a business called HomeAway, better known as Verbo in the States, uh, the world's largest marketplace for vacation rentals. And it was there that we really learned what it what it took to get uh, to grow from the back of happy customers and how to really harness that so that you can make the most of it. Brilliant. Thank you, everyone. Um, so let's start with um, some of the highlights from 2023. And Brittany, if I come to you first, um, from all of the businesses that you work with, um, what are some of the significant strides that you've seen taken this year uh, around customer experience? Are businesses fundamentally building more super fans, do you think? 
I think they are. I think this is the first year where everyone has sort of um, accepted the fact that there is no quote unquote going back. Like things are not getting back to how they were pre-COVID. The way the world is now is the way the world is going to be. I think this year, a lot of companies have made strides with their omni-channel experience saying we've got to ensure that no matter where or how somebody interacts with our brand, there is a cohesive experience that they are going to recognize as ours. I also think brands are starting to get smarter about the way they deploy technology. Um, And hopefully we'll continue to see this trend with AI. Um, It's less technology for technology's sake to check a box to say you did it and more intentional design around how you're using those touch points, what that experience for your customers is. Fabulous. And and Carol, I loved our episode a few weeks ago where you were talking about how more venture capital groups are investing in how you put it, referable companies. So those companies that are having their customers coming back and telling their friends and not just businesses that are bringing in uh, lots of new lots of new customers. Um, Would you be able to share any examples of businesses that you've worked with really embracing this idea of customer love? Yes, um, happy to. And when we last spoke, Simeon, I think I mentioned a company called Black Kite, which is in cybersecurity, which probably sounds a little bit scary and how could you possibly love it? But this is a company that is incredibly focused on helping make their customers successful with the software that they've created for them and trying to keep them safer through that. And what, what Black Kite does is they provide a solution for assessing and monitoring the cybersecurity status of all the other companies you work with, all your vendors, all your partners, people who are supplying you. Um, Again, sounds like very complicated stuff, but they've turned their culture into one that's incredibly focused on the customer. So yes, they have to have a great product that people love, but they've done a bunch of things to help make sure customers get value out of the product. So they have every customer gets a dedicated customer support uh, representative. Um, They've invested in really comprehensive onboarding and training um, that's ongoing for their customers to make sure they're maximizing their, their value. And then they take time, which is something a lot of software companies don't do, to meet with customers on a regular basis to check in. How are you doing? What features are you using? Here's some new things that you might want to do. Here's some things we're seeing other customers do. So they've really, you know, done a lot. And to Brittany's point about technology, one of the other things they've done that I don't see software companies do that often is they've invested in their own infrastructure to make sure that customers don't have to do annoying things like repeat themselves between sales and customer success and customer support. So everything is integrated. And I think the results that they're seeing, um, really, really speak to it. They're not quite measuring um, uh, the new Fred Reichelt measure, but they are still measuring NPS. They have an NPS score of 84, kind of really phenomenal in in software. Um, They have very high NRR, which I know is part of that score. So their customers are coming back and placing bigger orders with them. And they have really great reviews on all the peer review sites and are seeing that they're getting new customers being referred by their um, previous customers or customers who are still with them. And that's really helping them do something that we in the venture world love, keep their sales and marketing costs down as a percent of revenue, because it's much more efficient when you've got customers who love you, keep buying and, you know, are telling other customers that they should uh, try your software. 
And for anyone that isn't aware of uh, Fred Reichel's new measure, it's called Earned Growth. So essentially, it's measuring how much your business would grow if you didn't spend a penny on marketing. So how much would your business grow if you just had your existing customer base coming back and bringing their friends, which is obviously a great measure of of how much you're focusing on customer love. Um, and mate, obviously, you've built a company, excuse the pun, around customer love and really had that at the forefront of your mind. And I know when we were talking um, Fred's book, Winning on Purpose, has been a real inspiration to you uh, and built as well. Um, what are some of the key customer successes that you've had this year with Built that you'd like to share with us? Well, I I I would answer that with kind of a macro statement. Um, you know, our our kind of core group that we've worked with is around consumer durable goods. I mean, Built's used today in 172 countries, you know, dozens of languages, and uh, the last year and a half, two years, the overwhelming majority of our customers have actually been stressed economically, right? Uh, with inflation rates going up, um, most of them, their revenue is down 20 to 30%. And so um, these these principles around customer love, earned growth have really been put to the test. Um, and, 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 and so the fact that we're still seeing very high NRR in the process. Uh, it's still the vast majority of of leads that we have come in are still referrals. There are people that have, uh, as as uh, as Brittany mentioned, funny enough, uh, uh, it's people that have a great experience with built maybe on the weekend as a consumer, and now come in and say, "Hey, I I work for an industrial company. Um, can you help me with that same experience?" So we're we're seeing the real test of the of the principles come through in these diff- difficult economic circumstances and yeah that's where the proof is so it, it's uh it's been great to see these things uh, uh push through and really come to light in in difficult economic circumstances Absolutely. Uh, and Andy, obviously, it's been a, a fascinating year. It mentioned me um, pivoting the business fundamentally from being a referral platform to the launching the world's first customer advocacy intelligence platform. I'd love if you could just share a little bit about that launch, what what we've built at Mention Me and how that's enabling brands to go from kind of thinking, well, customer advocacy, customer love sounds great to actually fundamentally being able to implement it within their business, measure it, track it and ultimately grow through it as well. Yeah, so I mean, this was an absolute highlight uh, of 2023. In November, we had our big annual company event uh, with 300 clients in the room, and we unveiled a new suite of products that allowed us to to move from calling ourselves a referral platform, which we've been for most of the last decade, to being a customer advocacy intelligence platform. And and really, that's on the back of 10 years of generating referrals, generating data, and generating huge insight about. Uh, what it takes to grow from advocacy. So our platform is now able to help clients solve much more holistically for customer advocacy than just running a referral program. What does that mean? Well, our clients can now understand the true value of a customer, not just looking at the customer from the perspective of their wallet, but looking to account for the value of uh, that they bring from spreading the word about a brand. So we use a metric called extended customer revenue that captures not only what someone spends, but also the value of the new customers who come in on the back of their advocacy. And that gives you a totally different view of who your bus customers are. We're also, we've also put AI and machine learning behind that data so we can understand each customer's predicted extended customer revenue in 12 months time and their propensity to refer at any point in time. And that allows our clients to build segments, both for CD audiences, audiences for acquisition, but also to nurture clients based on their advocacy activity and to, to, um, talk to what Carol was saying, 
We also have earned growth in the platform so our clients can understand where they are from an earned growth perspective and measure and track it and benchmark it against competition. So it's been an amazing step forward that basically transforms how businesses think about their customers and how they treat them. And like to give you a sense as to what that means for a business, I recently ran the analysis for Huel, who are a nutritionally complete uh, food company. And within that, we can identify their high extended customer revenue um, segment. And we found that about 10% of their customers are in that, but they count for about 40% of the value when you look at it from an extended customer mm-hmm. revenue perspective. And and what's really important is that they are a different set of customers to those they would have focused on if they were just looking at spend. So if they want to maximize growth from advocacy, suddenly they have a huge opportunity to focus on those customers. Um, and this is this is a business that's already getting a huge amount of growth from referral and word of mouth, but now they've got a plan to take that to the next level. And so, you know, for me, this has been an incredibly exciting year. We've, we founded MetroMe 10 years ago, but it feels like everything has been building towards this. And we're now in a place where we can not only offer the world-leading referral uh, products, but we can help brands solve a much bigger challenge around optimizing their whole business for customer advocacy. And I just want to come back to that point, Andy, around businesses really understanding who their most valuable customers are. And I think this is what's been really fascinating for me to see is that, um, you know, going beyond the lens of just RFM, looking at individual spend and you know everything that we're talking about here is around customer love, which is essentially customers coming back and bringing their friends. So being able to measure the value beyond spend and actually look at, well, how much additional value have they driven by us delivering them customer love? And so they've come back and brought their friends, I think is fascinating. I saw lots of nodding heads as Andy was talking there as well. So um, I'm sure there's there's probably a consensus there. Um, fabulous. So um, obviously there's been lots of highlights in 2023. It's clearly been a challenging year as well for, um, you know, for the, for the markets in general and many businesses. Um, Nate, if I come to you first, um, are there any kind of significant customer challenges this year that, that Built have faced? Uh, and what lessons have you kind of taken out of those challenges? Yeah, I, with um, with customers just scraping for every every shilling, if you will, um, you know, they're, they're having to make decisions as to where they invest. Uh, and um, yeah, you have to you have to help them understand, of course, the value that uh, that uh, that you're bringing uh, to them, but you have to fight a little bit harder. But that's where I think to Andy's point that that, that he was just saying, understanding those customers that are able to grow and and really helping them grow their business uh, uh, helps helps you know you on the other side. So for us, it's uh, it's really been you know understanding those customers that can really grow and then. And then just just help them facilitate them. I think one of the one of the things that Carol mentioned here uh, with, uh, with with the company example that she gave is this is the time most of all when you need to be really supporting your customers and just having that outward mindset and recognize they are struggling. Even the very very best of them are not in the same conditions that they were in two or three years ago. And 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 you know customer love is, is yes reaching out to your paying customers, but it's also having that empathy to understand your customer's customer and how can you help them making sure that you're aligned with your customers as to what's really bringing value to your customer's customer. So it, it's, it's uh it's been a great opportunity to just kind of focus and narrow the scope and make sure that our core thing that we're doing, that we continue to do it very, very well. Uh, and that's not easy. That's not easy to focus when you've got kind of economic turmoil, et cetera, going around. That's, 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 uh, that's hard. 
That's interesting. And, and was this something that you were doing before the, the economic challenges? Um, or was this something that you kind of more pivoted to or really doubled down when the, when the economic crisis hit? Well, I would say I would say even the, uh, the the first half of COVID and before that, you know, we were we were growing triple digits uh, and 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 spending next to nothing on sales and marketing. Uh, it, you know, j- just the inbound that earned growth was just so tremendous that you're just trying to you know bring people in, enable them, get them out the door, et cetera. Um, whereas whereas now you're just you're just having to be more deliberate. You can't take for granted some of those core principles. Um, um, but, but, but recognizing as well. And I think this is part of the early question that you asked is, is across, uh, all companies, those that are succeeding or those that were doing these types of things before, I mean, it's very, very hard to just invent them today. If you don't, if you don't have those foundational aspects already in your business, you're struggling way more than others. And, and again, for the, for the couple hundred brands that we see, you see those that, that were very intentional and have been for a couple of years about that just kind of customer journey, understanding it, enriching lives. They're actually doing quite well. And, and in many cases, they're, they're, they might be flat or even growing a little bit this year, whereas those that were very transactional in, in their relationships, they may have had a very good sales and marketing channel, but they were buying growth. And, and, uh, and, and you're starting to see those companies are off 30 40 percent and struggling tremendously and just building about andy obviously you're speaking to business leaders on a daily basis um what are some of the main challenges that you see them facing when they're trying to grow through something like customer advocacy um because it's not always you know something particularly tangible or measurable which is obviously where you know the the platform that we've launched recently really comes into effect but what are some of their key challenges and what, what are some of the lessons that you've learned from that and and the feedback that you've had from these business leaders yeah, I, I mean, I I echo everything that Nate has just said. I think it's it's been a fascinating period of economic change, and that economic change has exposed different businesses in different ways. When when we think about um, the challenges that businesses have in adopting advocacy as a kind of core approach to how they grow, I think the number one challenge we see is data. Like time and time again, we hear from CMOs, even from CEOs, like. We know that organic growth is what we want. We know that advocacy is what we want, but we have no way of measuring it and therefore we can't rely on it and therefore we run, yeah. run away because we don't know how to account for it. And um, and that's interesting because particularly from a CMO perspective, it makes them feel like they can't push it towards a CFO. So what we are finding is when you start to get data that you can lean on, going to a CFO early and saying, look, actually, this is a different way of thinking about how we think about the value of a customer you can engage in a much more positive conversation and there's there's real data behind it. I think the current economic environment has has been really tough for a lot of businesses. Um, and, you know, we see all of the orders that happen on all of our clients and we know that 60% of them have been shrinking year on year in terms of order volumes uh, for most of 2023. And actually 25% of them have been shrinking by more than 25%. Um, for most of 2023, that's a tough, tough situation to be in. So, you know, costs get cut everywhere, but especially marketing budgets, and we're seeing marketing teams getting cut. Um, and ironically, that can lead some businesses to retreat to pay channels at exactly the point that they should be focusing on trying to find more organic growth and more earned growth. And I think we're going to see a real split between the winners and losers as we come out of this downturn in terms of who has retreated and who's looked forward and tried to 
lean more on organic and earned growth uh, going forward. And and I think fundamentally, one of the like marketing is amazing for how much it's changed over the last twenty years. With AI, it's going to change even more in the next five to ten years. But it's um, I think in the last ten years, especially in with the advent of digital marketing, we've seen a real sense that the way that you grow is by spending money and especially on Google and Facebook in the digital channels. And so when businesses think about growth, they think about where they're going to spend. And for us, that's just the wrong way of thinking about growth. Growth should start with customers. And if you treat customers right, you will get growth from customers. And then you figure out how you engage customers to, to get more. And then you will still have budgets that you'll put towards pay channels, but you do it after you figured out how to grow from customers. And our vision as a company is how do you make all brands think advocacy first? Well, I think that shift in mindset is very, very tough for many businesses. There is this ingrained way of thinking about growth. And so we are working our socks off to try and change that mindset because I think then you unlock the real advantages of far, far superior economics on the back of doing the right thing by the customers. And when you do the right thing by customers, everyone wins. The customer wins, the business wins, the employees win. And that's what we're looking to unlock. Yeah, and, and Carol, I want to explore with you in a second a bit more about the markets and the challenges that, that businesses are faced there. But uh, Brittany, if I just come to you first, um, what are some of the key customer experience challenges that you've seen businesses face this year, whether that's kind of what they're trying to adopt or what they're trying to implement within their business? What are, what are some of the kind of barriers to success, would you say, with customer experience this year? You know, I think kind of to Nate point, Nate's point earlier, there, I think, have been some like knee-jerk reactions this year of people saying, mm-hmm. oh, inflation is up, costs are up, um, the economy is is shaky, let's pull back on spending, let's let's cut back on the number of people that we have serving our customers. They're, they're sort of over-correcting out of fear, uh, which creates fear and uncertainty within your employees, which is then felt by customers, because we know customers are always going to sort of absorb the energy and the emotion of the employees who are tasked with helping them. Uh, so I think that's been one real challenge. And, you know, to, to Andy's point, creating a culture where you are prioritizing experience is something that you can't just flip a switch and do overnight. It's got to be something that's ingrained into your culture. And I think, um, what I'm really starting to see the companies that are looking at customer experience the right way realize is that when you create that advocacy, and I would, and this is this is a statistic that uh, I've yet to study this. I, I'm actually looking forward to doing it because it's something that I've started uh, to observe and have been fascinated by. But I would say the majority of experiences from um, the, the the studies that I've uh, that I've sort of casually done and the the companies that I've been talking to and working with, um, when customers are talking to their friends about an experience. It feels like less than half of those stories actually involve the product. And so what I want to do is some focus study to see how much is actually talking about the product because it feels like the majority and perhaps even an overwhelming majority is people talking about the experience that they had with the company separate from the product. And I think this is important because we all know you can't buy advocates, you can't pay people to love you, but 
less of a focus on how do I get somebody to refer this product? How do I get somebody to talk about the service? And what are the free things that I can train my team to do? Those experiential things, those empathetic things, those human things that are going to enhance the experience and also very likely increase the likelihood of that earned growth because someone is telling the story. But the story that they're telling is about something baked into the experience. It's about something in that human connection or emotion with the person serving the company rather than something about the product or the service. That's really interesting. I remember in our episode, we were talking about the experience economy and you really went into detail around, and I've heard it from a lot of guests as well. It's really about businesses creating experiences for their customers and using that as a competitive advantage. That's really interesting. Um, And that's what then people are talking about. So it's, I think a really, a really fascinating thing that's happening in the, not just the stories being shared, but what is being shared in those stories. So, Carol, Nate and Andy were kind of alluding to some of the pressures around the market, and you all know, you know, better than most around what's happening with that. This has clearly been a very challenging time for the market. Um, what lessons do you think that companies can learn from those businesses that really prioritise retention and customer love as a better way to grow through this tough time? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think Andy, Nate and Brittany really kind of hit the nail on the head with it. It is a tough time. You know, in B2B, we are definitely seeing situations where, you know, sales and marketing are are really excited about the pipeline that they've built. Sales, you know, is really excited about the uh, revenue number they're going to hit. And when they get to the finish line, CFOs at companies are saying, oh, I'm sorry, we can't make that purchase. You know, so uh, the buyer, the actual buyer thinks they have the budget. They think it's all fine. And then it sort of gets... Um, killed at the last minute. And that's just a reality. And that is absolutely impacting uh, companies' ability to grow. But what's interesting is, you know, many have said, okay, well, we're going to focus on customers. But as, you know, Andy and Nate pointed out, if you haven't been doing that all along, it's pretty hard to just pivot to it and have it magically happen because you haven't made the investment in really understanding the customer and their needs, in delivering the kinds of experiences that Brittany was was talking about. I think very often B2B companies don't think that there's an experience involved, but there really is. This is a really important thing um, among the buyers. It's, it's those kinds of things I mentioned that Black Kite was doing around not just turning over the product, but helping the customers really get on board and checking in with them and making sure they're getting value. And you've got to be doing those things on a regular basis. What I see B2B companies do too often is say, oh, we're going to focus on customers. We're going to cut staff um, and we're going to load up our customer success people or, you know, or they'll try to throw bodies, you know, at the problem, which isn't going to work because if customers haven't had a good experience all along, it's pretty hard to save them at the end when it comes right down to the renewal perp. Uh, uh, renewal time, but many people try to do that anyway. So, you know, the other thing I think I've seen is when people are cutting, they're not really thinking about that customer experience. So as they start to think about, oh, where am I going to cut to get my costs in a line with the reality of what growth looks like today versus what it looked like two years ago? They're not really incorporating, you know, the, the thought about, well, what are the things that are going to be most important to my customer? They're kind of just doing sort of carte blanche cutting. But there are companies that are doing well. You know, I mentioned uh, Black Kite, one that I'm not invested in, but I think does a very cool job is a, a little company called Lavender that makes a tool for salespeople. And you will see their customers spreading love about them on LinkedIn and social media um, all the time. And it's 
just completely genuine. So they, you know, they can continue to grow through a period like this without having to spend as much on sales and marketing. And I think you can you can see those pockets of brightness throughout, but it's people who've gotten this um, understanding of, I really need to understand my customer, what they need, what those experiences are that are going to make a difference to them that Brittany mentioned, like put humans on the things where you really need a human, automate the stuff where where you don't and make it really simple for your customers. And I remember we were talking our last episode, the, the effect obviously of businesses that have those customers coming back and bring, bringing their friends for, for you as an investor, as you see that as being a very sustainable, profitable business that you can confidently invest in as well, right? Absolutely. I mean, the companies that have been doing this all along, even with the current environment, their metrics are looking good. They may not be attracting you know customers quite at the same level they they might have in a more robust uh, economy but you know they've got better customer acquisition cost metrics they've got better lifetime value metrics you know they're um, not having to spend as much on sales and marketing to continue to get the kind of growth that is going to make their investors happy they're expanding the usage with their customers which is unlocking another form of growth for them Excellent. Okay, so looking ahead to 2024, um, which is coming up very, very quickly, I must say, I can't believe it's nearly November. Um, Brittany, if I come to you first, um, what are some of the key customer trends that you see emerging that businesses really should be aware of going into next year? I love the question. Uh, I think that one of the key trends is customers expecting things to be easy. And, you know, one of the principles in an experience economy is you're not just being compared to those who are competing directly with you. Your experience is being compared to everyone, right, uh, in your industry and other industries. Uh, when customers see how simple something can be, it's like that easy button from the Staples commercials years ago. We just want to push it and we just want things to work. We want them to be automated. We want them to be easy. Uh, to some of the pain points we were talking about before, we don't want to have to repeat ourselves. We don't want to have to try multiple times to solve a problem. Um, so I think one of the trends is really bringing that customer centricity to decision making across the company. So regardless of your role, in the business, you've got to ask, what can I do to make things a little bit simpler for my customer, a little bit easier, a little bit better? Because when you can apply that intentional experience design, people will keep coming back. It has never been simpler for uh, a startup company or a new company to share or, you know, steal market share um, by making a simpler solution. I'm sure Carol sees this all the time in the companies that she chooses to invest in when you can not just build a better mousetrap, but like build a simpler mousetrap, make something easier. Customers will very quickly uh, leave the okay solution that they're sort of apathetic about and embrace something that makes them a little easier. So I think asking the question, how can I make this simpler? How can I make this 10% faster? How can I make this 5% easier? How can I make this 3% more fun? Just looking for ways to incrementally um, improve and have that constant sense of innovation and improvement across your team to drive that change uh, so that you don't find yourself at the end of the year, at the end of a couple of years, sliding back a little bit compared to your competitors and having Having people uh, say, this just takes a little bit too long. I'm going to find somewhere where I can just press that easy button. Fabulous. Um, and if I come to you next, for businesses that are listening to this and thinking, 
you know, we believe in customer advocacy, you know, we, we understand this is the way forward, but fundamentally, how do I implement this in my business? Like, how do I turn this into a long-term strategy? What are some of the kind of advocacy strategies, tactics, initiatives, whatever you want to call it, that businesses can implement in 2024 to help them win and grow through customer love? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think it's really interesting that both Nate and Carol have referred to the fact this isn't something you can switch on immediately. And that's right. But it's also, if you don't start on that mm. uh, that journey soon, then you'd like, you're even further away from it. So the way we think about it, we've got what we call an advocacy adoption framework that we use help to help businesses transition to advocacy. And there are three stages to it. The first is just start getting customers to bring their friends. The second is driving advocacy across the entire base. And the third is building your business on customer love. And you can see that those are kind of like get going, drive adoption, and then really change the culture. And in the first stage, like we recommend using a referral program just to start gathering data. You launch and then you optimize that program with different messages for different customer segments. You then want to make sure you're promoting it at all of the points of delight so that customers are being asked to share your brand and talk about your brand when they're delighted. And then use that data to seed other channels like lookalike audiences so that you're optimizing your pay channels to recruit more customers who are likely to refer. And so that basically gets you up and running. You're gathering data. You're starting to use the data. The second stage is about driving advocacy across the entire base. So that's adapting all of your existing customer marketing to convert more customers into advocates. It's developing customer journeys for existing advocates to maximize their advocacy and their value. For instance, um, a business may have a loyalty program, but if you're not recognizing um, your advocates for their advocacy, you're only looking at spend, you're fundamentally not aligning your customers to what you're trying to drive there. And so you really want to make sure that you're incorporating that advocacy value into the loyalty program so that you're telling your customers that you think it's important and that you're going to be willing to thank them for it in a meaningful way. Um, and there's another piece here where it's like advocacy is amazing for giving you more information about what a customer is feeling and doing outside of the buying cycle, particularly if their brand has long uh, periods between buying, um, between um, purchasing activity. And so understanding the advocacy signals that are coming to the brand outside of the buying cycle and using that is really, really important for how you communicate with the customer. And so once you've, once you've driven advocacy across the base, you should see results increasing and customers will start to understand the importance you're putting on advocacy. And then the final stage is really about adopting customer love as your North Star as a business. And it's very hard. We find it, businesses find it very hard to jump straight there. So you kind of need to go through the first two phases first. But at this point, businesses will be calculating and solving for uh, earned growth. They'll be talking about it with a company. They'll be talking about it with a board. They'll be using advocacy data to make big decisions about which markets are working, which new products are working. They'll be using advocacy data to determine where the investments in CX should go to truly delight their best customers. And they'll know how much they can invest because they'll understand the value of the advocacy that those customers are bringing in. And at the end of that third stage, you're kind of at the point where we see what you think we think of as a kind of culture shift towards focusing on customer love not only because it's like the right thing to do and most of us can intuitively get that, but because you can prove the value of it in the numbers too. And that's when we see the full power of advocacy being realized where, where customers um, feel appreciated for sharing, sharing the brand and all the good things about it. 
Brilliant. Um, Nate, Andy was obviously talking about some uh, some great ideas for initiatives there. What are some of the customer love initiatives um, that Built will be focused on next year to really delight their customers? Well, so one of the things that uh, um, we've actually been working on for for about a year and a half now is is when you think of um, people having a great experience. I know Brittany Brittany started out uh, uh, giving us a couple of accolades around around the super skeleton from uh, from Home Depot. But one of the things that we found as we as we track you know net promoter scores pretty religiously is um, as people go along a, a a journey their their willingness to, um, to to buy more from our brand increases right that's what we've talked about right that's just the result of, of customer love when, when when a customer feels like they're being taken care of that uh, that there's some intentionality of looking at their at their needs their willingness and desire to just do more with the brand increases. So uh, one of the things that we'll be launching next year is um, uh, the, the ability to then uh, uh, to purchase additional accessories uh, or, or other things that go with your uh, particular product. Um, and while I can't get into the, uh, the, uh, um, the details of, of it right now, but what we show now that we've, uh, experimented with a handful of uh, kind of tier one global brands is that when you're creating that great experience, that likelihood of them uh, exploring additional things that they could do with your brand is in some cases five times higher than what, than what it would normally be. Um, and, and, and so we're, we're really helping brands uh, uh, understand that intentionality that, uh, that, that people have and really asking the question, how do you harvest more with that relationship, given the fact that you've earned some trust uh, with your with your with your end customer. Um, the other thing that I that I would mention that we see is just a general uh, a trend is companies going more toward direct to consumer, um, and 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 that actually has a lot of different flavors. Even if you're in more of these industrial type scenarios, it has its own flavor. But brands just realizing, as Andy said you need to get the data to understand that customer experience. And, and, and if there's an intermediary that, that is keeping you from that, that's, that's, that's a tough thing. You need to find ways of, of understanding that customer experience and your customer's uh, customer experience, um, because that's the only way that you're getting, you know, complete feedback loops. And so uh, I, I think you're going to see that as a general trend um, uh, and, and companies that do that really well are going to understand that voice of the customer better and, and, and are going to be able to put the analytics that Andy was talking about together. Uh, they're just going to have a better picture of, of really how well they're enriching people's lives and, and they're just going to do more. They're just going to do better. Yeah. And, you know, one, I, I loved everything you just said, Nate and Andy, you know, you were talking about NPS and EGR and all of the metrics. Um, one thing that I've found this year speaking to and consulting with a lot of small and mid-sized businesses is that, um, their employees feel disconnected from NPS, from CSAT, from EGR. It just doesn't feel tangible to them. And so one thing that I have encouraged businesses of all sizes to implement is what I think is probably like the Guinness World Record holding most simple measure of customer interactions ever. Uh, and that's a principle that I talk about in my book is that there's really only three kinds of interactions we ever have as customers, but really as humans. At the end of any interaction, we're going to feel one of exactly three ways, better, worse, or the same. 
the overwhelming majority of interactions that we all have as customers, but also as people are neutral. Thousands of them a day, right? We just exchange of information, exchange of uh, ideas, exchange of something, and then we move on, like move on, move on, move on. So training your team to think about in terms of you are going to leave every single customer better, worse, or the same as you found them and start keeping track of it. Make little pluses, little minuses, circles or underscores for those neutral ones. And at the end of every interaction, whether it's somebody working in your call center, whether it's somebody working in a retail location, whether it's somebody working in customer success or support, have them self-score themselves. Did you leave that customer feeling better? Not just did you solve their problem, not just are they, you know, technically better off because you've you've solved the ticket or you've answered their query, but do do they feel better? Like, did you leave them better than you found them? And that metric, having people self-score does a couple of things. It connects and grounds the employee in the fact that every experience matters. Every customer is someone who you need to treat in that instance as the influencer that they are, because they can, of course, share that story and refer more people. But it also makes it feel very real to them. So sometimes when you talk about earned growth or you talk about NPS or even CSAT or customer effort score, and people are like, what does this have to do with me? This is, you know, thousands of employees talking about thousands of interactions with with me and dozens of teammates. But when you have people score every single interaction that they are in charge of, every experience that they are architecting, and honestly say, did I leave this customer better, worse, or are they about the same, really grounds people in that customer-centric mindset that leads to that inside-out transformation into a more experience-based organization. Yeah, I love that, Brittany. I remember we were speaking in our episode, you, you talk about the fact that apathy is one of the biggest killers for businesses that they don't even realize, as you were saying, they're Absolutely. most interactions that they have, they just kind of feel neutral about it. Um, exactly. So yeah, solve the problem, move on. Absolutely. Um, final point with you, Carol, um, obviously, as we move into 2024, um, you know, we've spoken about the fact that more VC companies will be looking at these um, customer love businesses um, as ones they want to focus on to invest in. What are some of the areas that they'll be looking at to the side whether a business is set up for sustainable and profitable growth in the future? What investors are looking for, and I'm going to go to what Brittany said, is they're looking for that love. And in fact, I think I'm going to recommend we start <laughs> in implementing that way of, of looking at how we're doing across our companies. I worked with a, a young man who ran our customer success team at a company I was at called Rapid7, and he instilled that, Brittany, and everyone in the support team, like, Make sure that the customer's problem is not only solved, but that they are are happier. And he had a bunch of little things he used to do to help um, measure that. And I think it's uh, fantastic. But going back to sort of the investors, they're looking for that. I don't think they've, they've encapsulated it into a good measure yet. But of course, we're looking for, is it a big market? You know, all of these kinds of things. Are they able to attract new customers and new logos? Are they winning? But we're also looking for strong differentiation in something that is sustainable. And where does that show up? It shows up in looking at some of the financial metrics around renewal, um, upsell, cross-sell, the referral rates that we're getting from you know one customer to another customer. Those are sort of the hard metrics that we in the venture firm are looking for to know if we are investing in the right kind of company. You know, I think in the past, 
We rely too heavily on technical differentiation, like, oh, can they describe a really deep technical differentiation? And that's great if you have it. But to Brittany's earlier point, um, it's not always about, is it the best tech at a true tech level? It's, is it the best tech for the customer? Is it easy for them to use? Is it going to fit into their way of work? Is it going to make them happier in their jobs. You know, and if you can find um, technology that does that, it, it's a, it, it, it can be measured, but it's something sometimes we, we don't know quite how to quantify and evaluate. I think that's what we're really looking for to know we're investing in a company with incredible staying power and the company that's going to be the winner in a particular market, right? So we can look at things like buzz, you know, level of engagement. What are we hearing? What are customers saying about them? What are their partners saying about them? And you want to avoid that it's good because um, in this world of it's good, but it's not great, it's really easy to switch brands in the future when great comes along and then you don't really have a sustainable company anymore. So we really are looking at those um, metrics that tell us they're building something with their customers. They're not just um, good at acquiring customers. They're good at making customers happy, keeping them, and, and encouraging their customers to help them get new customers. Fabulous. Carol, Nate, Brittany, Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Thank fun. You You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.